0: I appreciated those opening comments and thoughts and the selection of songs this evening that turn our hearts towards God. I'm so thankful for that peace and the light that, that lights our way. I do like to say that I appreciate the prayer time every evening and tonight, especially I was encouraged again to pray with brethren. Praying for revival in our hearts, praying for the Lord to speak to us it gave me courage this evening. I greet you tonight in the, the name of Jesus. The one who said, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus said. And so one of the should hmm, use that word, one of the perks or one of the benefits of side benefits of heaven is that we're going to have a mansion he said I've gone to prepare a mansion for you now that's just a side benefit of heaven there's a lot of other things in heaven be more glorious than that be with God the Father see Jesus but Jesus did say he said I've gone there's many mansions there and and I've gone to prepare one for you and you know I'm kind of looking forward no i'm not kind of i am looking forward to that um, we won't need any furnaces in our mansions in heaven i don't think no re-roofing when we get to heaven um I'm not going to have to replace the windows in our mansion I'm not going to have any toilet issues you know in heaven in those mansions Nothing like that. There'll be a mansion there. And then he said, if if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus said, he's gone to prepare us a mansion. Then he said, I'm coming back uh, to get you and to take you with me there. So how many of you tonight... Are interested in going to heaven. I'd like for you to raise your hand. If you are interested in going to heaven. Okay. I can ask you another question. How many of you intend to go there? Not only are we interested. But we intend to go there. That is good to see your hands up. Alright. You know that's that's going to be something folks. When he comes back. And we exchange countries. We leave this this old earth behind, and we go to our new heaven. That is going to be something. And the Bible says, and you may wonder where I'm going with this tonight. I'm not, I'm not talking about the second coming. But the Bible does says that when he comes back, it, it's going to happen fast. He says that as the lightning strikes from the east to the west, bam, bam, there it is. That's how fast it's going to happen. That's how fast this country exchange is going to take place. We're going to be here. We're going to go there. We're going to be rising to meet him in the air. The Bible says we'll see Jesus coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. All oh, friends, tonight it is going to be wondrous to hear that trumpet sound. And it's going to happen on an ordinary day, the Bible says. It's an ordinary day. Isn't that some, some ordinary day? And so the Bible says, and we've already talked about it some this week, that we're to watch and we're to be ready. Just to be ready. When we hear that trumpet sound, let, let's be ready to go. And you know, tonight, I think just about all of us are interested in heaven. We, we intend to go there. But we would admit tonight, I believe all of us tonight, including myself, we admit that there are distractions. There are distractions along the way. Things that keep us from maybe, or that attempt to keep us from being as ready and watching as we should be. There are distractions because you see, the devil, he doesn't want us to go to heaven. That's just how it is. And so he is out to distract us. He doesn't want us to be ready. He doesn't want us to be watching. And So tonight what I want to talk about is I want to warn about a certain distraction that could keep us from going to heaven if we get distracted. The title of the message tonight is The Danger of Materialism. Now all I say tonight right up front, th- this message is for me. It's for Delmer Troyer, okay? And you can listen in tonight. But I need this message. This message tonight is for young people. You see, there are things out there that Satan would use to distract you too Earthly things. Materialistic things. Now, it may be something different than what he would use on me, but there are things out there that Satan wants to use to distract you from being ready. Materialistic things. This message tonight is also for the ladies, for the sisters. You may not bring the paycheck home. You may not run the business. But you know what? Satan likes to distract sisters and ladies also with materialistic things. And you're well aware of that. You know, ladies are, they're made different than men. And they like things that are beautiful and nice and prissy and all those things, you know. Materialistic things. And so Satan wants to use that to distract you too. And the message tonight is also for us men. Generally speaking, men are very goal-oriented. Generally speaking. Not every man is, but generally speaking, men are goal-oriented. And it is very easy, brethren, to get distracted from watching for Jesus and being ready with all the materialistic things that are around us. I'm going to start tonight with a story. We all like stories. And it's a story about my uncle, Burton Troyer, who has passed away. And, and maybe, um, I don't know if Tim and Margaret are here, but if they were here, if they're here, they could probably maybe tell the story more accurately than I can, or their children, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this story as I heard it, as I remember it, about my uncle, Burton who passed away in 08. And this took place a couple years before he passed away, so I'm going to say maybe um, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago. I don't know, but it's a true story. Uncle Burton was leaving, living in eastern Oregon, and he was not, he was an older man, and he was basically retired, as I remember, and he would not be what I would really call a hunter, but he had certainly hunted animals for meat. Uh, but he wouldn't be what I call sport hunter necessarily. But one day, a neighbor came to his house knocking on his door. And he asked my uncle if he would be willing to go deer hunting with him on so-and-so a day later that week or whatever. And so my uncle said, yeah, he'll go with him. And so they made arrangements. And my uncle Burton got ready for that day. He went to somebody and he borrowed a gun that he had never shot in before. And so he borrowed this gun. And when the appointed day came, they, they got in the I think it was the neighbor's pickup or something, and they drove to the mountain, which was not very far away. And they got out of the truck and took their guns, and they started hiking up the mountain. They got part way up the mountain, and the neighbor man said, "You know what? I'm stopping here. This is where I'm hunting." And my uncle said, "Well, he's going to go up, on up the mountain a little bit further." And he went up and he up the mountain, and he came through a clearing, and he went through the clearing and sat down on the other side of the clearing, where he could, where he could look down the mountain. Over the clearing and he sat down there It was a beautiful warm fall day and he's sitting against a tree and he fell asleep and he was sleeping and all at once he woke up and he knew that something wasn't right. We call it sometimes, we call it that sixth sense, you know, sense. We just, there's. we don't know what it is, but something just doesn't feel right. And that's how he felt. Something is not right here. And he sat there and he just watched and he was watching down across this clearing. And down in the trees, eventually he saw something moving. And he couldn't pick up what it was, but he knew there was something. And it was coming towards him. And it just kind of stayed behind the trees. And eventually he picked up that whatever this was, it was... Coming up the path that he had walked up, and it certainly appeared like it was stalking him. Well, eventually he would see, he saw a tail, and eventually he knew that it was a mountain lion that was stalking him, coming right for him. So there he sat. Here comes this mountain lion stalking him. He had remember he had never shot this gun before, and he wasn't sure what to do. And so he sat there, and this mountain lion came up to behind the last tree before the clearing, and it came around that tree, and he charged him. And my uncle raised that gun, and he shot him dead between the eyes or somewhere. Killed him right there, right? Now, what if he had not woke up? What if he had not woke up? Now, let's just leave that story hanging right there, all right? And we will make reference back to it as we go through the message. I invite you tonight to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we have the writings of Paul. And I, this is a powerful passage. And as I think about Paul and you read his writings, I, to me, Paul, he writes with passion. Paul writes from the bottom of his heart. Paul shows his feelings, his concerns when he writes. And I, and I see Paul here, he's writing with passion, and it is coming from the very depth of his heart. It's a passion that cares about the bride, about the church of Jesus Christ. Paul cares about that. He's concerned about the church. And as you read Paul's writings, you can see that there's a passion for souls. Paul wants people to be saved. Paul wants people to not only be interested in heaven, but to get there. He's got a passion. And as Paul writes, I see a passion that that guards against things that destroy the soul. Paul cared about those things. We come here to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to use verses 9 and 10 as a text. And then we're going to read a bit more of it. But verse 9, we'll read that verse. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now tonight we want to talk about the danger. Paul has a passion. And he writes about the danger of materialism. The danger of money. And the things that money can bring. And you know, this subject tonight, I'm going to confess to you tonight. I'm going to just tell you how I feel. I didn't know exactly what I was going to preach this week. When I came here, I knew what I was going to preach the first night. And I didn't know for sure what I would preach after that. And this morning, God didn't literally speak to me in a voice, but it just seemed that my mind went... To this message. But you know, the closer it got to 745 tonight, the harder it got. You know what I mean, Brother Todd? This subject is so relevant. It is so personal. It is so where we are at. You know, we need to eat. We need to have houses to live in. We need a vehicle or a buggy to drive or something. We need to work so that we can eat. And so this thing comes right down to to where the rubber hits the road right where we live. And what I want to share with you tonight, dear people, I hope that you can understand that I want to share it out of a heart of love. I do not think that I am better than you in any way. No way. And like I said, I need this message first. I am a normal man and I and I am very goal oriented. And it is very easy for me to become materialistic. You know, we talked, was it last night, about we own things. And and probably many, how many of you have cash in your wallet tonight? How many of you have cash in your wallet? Oh, even young men do, yeah. Okay, not everybody has gone cashless yet. Some of you have probably. How many of you have a credit card in your wallet tonight? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, all right. You know, I here a while ago. I opened up my wallet and I didn't have any cash in it. Wow, this has got to change. I mean, I gotta have cash. What if I need something? And then I'm thinking about Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus needed to pay his taxes and he didn't have any cash. He didn't have a credit card. He didn't have a checking. I had nothing, nothing. He said, "Ah, "Peter, go out there and go fishing." (laughs) Pulls up a fish. Money in it. You ever do that? I never did that. How many of you have lots of stuff? Yeah. We have lots of stuff, don't we? Well, tonight I want to warn you from the Bible about being materialistic. And you know when you think about warning, uh, we think about danger. The the danger of materialism. So if there's a sign that says bridge out, and we're driving down the road and the sign says bridge out, well that's a warning, that means there's danger, we better slow down, we better turn around, we better go some other way or we're going to drop right off the end of somewhere into nowhere. Warnings. Um, And we give warnings for lots of different things. Maybe way more than we think about. You know, a summer or two ago, two summers ago, we had a real catastrophe on the job. We had set trusses on a big pole building, and it had just been set. Crane just pulled out. We had come down, grabbed a quick lunch, and I was climbing up the wall to get back up on those trusses, and I was halfway up the wall, and bam, the whole truss system all crashed down inside the building, just like that. And so now, when we set trusses on a building, I'll tell you what, when that crane drops a truss in there and he he puts it somewhere where he shouldn't or bangs the other trusses, I mean, I, I am really quick to call out a warning. Watch out! You know, I don't want to see another system go down. That was too close. And so we give warnings. All kinds of warnings. And we do that to avoid injury and death and destruction. That's why we do it. And so... I feel my responsibility tonight to this message, to you people here tonight, to give you a warning of the danger of materialism. And by God's help, I want to do that. Now let's enlarge upon our text here tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's go back to verse 5. Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Okay, I have sometimes, I'm... Sometimes I have trouble understanding everything Paul is saying here, but he starts in. He, he's he's coming up to this subject about money, and he and he wants to give this warning. And he's he's approaching this subject here, and, and he comes to verse five, and he just he branches into it, and he says uh, about men that suppose that gain is godliness. And he said, people that think that way have got corrupt minds. That's what he said. Corrupt minds that don't understand truth, don't embrace truth, don't have truth. They're going to think that gain is godliness. And what he said was to stay away from people like that, that think that way. And so I gather two thoughts here as I have studied this verse. and, And I stand to be corrected. But if I understand right... um. As real Christians, we do not use the gospel of Jesus Christ to make financial gain. Alright? The gospel is for the, the saving of souls. That's what the Bible is for. This is for the saving of souls. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what the gospel is for. It is the gift of salvation. It is the cleansing blood to bring men and women to the cross, out of the darkness like we heard tonight, into the glorious light. It is a gospel of faith. That we are to embrace with a passion and we pass that on to our children. It is not for financial gain. And I wonder, dear brothers and sisters tonight, I wonder if we are really free from this. Are we using our faith, our name, to promote financial gain? I'll throw that question out there. And and I, Lord willing, I want to come back to that tonight. Are we using our faith for, to promote financial gain? The second thought I get out of this is this. That having riches and being well off, having a successful business or successful farming has nothing to do with being spiritual. You see, we have a tendency to look at people two ways. Oh, they're doing well. Look at that house. Look at that property. Look at that business. They must be really spiritual. God is really blessing them. They are really spiritual. Look at that farm operation. Wow, they are spiritual. And then we have, the state, we have the tendency to look at other people that aren't doing so well financially and we say, oh, what's wrong with them? Okay, look at that house they live in. Look at that car they drive. That rust bomb. They must not be very spiritual. No. You know, we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency... When we get in a church meeting, a brotherhood meeting, and the guy who that has done very well business wise, oh man, we listen to that man. But the man that that lives in a in a poor situation, what's he got to say? We have that tendency, friends. That's not right. Gain is not godliness. You know, it is very possible that the man with very little is maybe more spiritual than the man with a whole bunch. We, I don't know that, but it's possible. But, you know, we tend to look up to those people that have made it financially. And you know what, friends? We're guilty of putting pressure on each other. We shouldn't put pressure on each other. We shouldn't think more highly of the man that has that has a huge prosperous business to think more highly of him and put pressure on ourselves and other people to to be like that we shouldn't do that I don't think that's right gain is not godliness verse 6 but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So contentment is a biblical principle. It's a biblical concept. And I want to talk more about that later. But I I believe, my friends tonight, that contentment is something that a lot of our people, our plain churches, are somehow we have lost this concept about contentment. We're losing it. I'm afraid we are. Maybe we could say we're ignoring it. And I have said this for years, that you cannot ignore the principles of God and not live to regret it. And you know, maybe we haven't yet seen the consequences in our church of, of ignoring the concept of contentment. But if we continue to ignore that concept, we will see the consequences. Just like I believe that the, the, the technology thing that has come upon us, I don't believe the church has yet seen the consequences of what we have bought into. That's not my subject tonight. You see, when we ignore the concept of contentment and we travel down the path of discontentment, there's a mountain lion that stalks that path. And he's looking for a lunch. He's ready to devour, to stalk and attack. And you cannot ignore the principles principles of God and not reap the consequences. And I believe, friends, you know, it says in verse 7... I love these simple verses. It says that we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we're going to carry nothing out. A fourth grader here tonight can understand that. When you were born into the world, you came with nothing, Brother Todd. Absolutely nothing. And the Bible says that when you leave this earth, you're going to go out the same way you came in. Carry nothing in, carry nothing out. And I believe that God must grieve in his heart sometimes when he looks down on earth at at his people that are putting so much focus, so much time, so much energy into things that are going to melt and burn and disappear. So much focus and energy into things that are metal and wood and plastic and paper. Are we really thinking about the fact that we came in with nothing? And we're going to leave with nothing. Zero. One thing is certain. Nothing in, nothing out. It says here, and back to verse 9... Well, you know what? Uh, I want to read a verse... Let's start at verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from their faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who hath quickened all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is a blessed and only potent, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which... No man can approach unto whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may hold low May lay hold on eternal life. We come back to this thing about we are all intending to go to heaven tonight here. Most of us. We are interested in it. We want to get there. He says about laying hold on eternal life. And what he says prior to that is that we've got to have a good foundation if we're going to do it. If we're going to get to heaven, we've got to have a good foundation. And things that melt and burn and disappear and decay and rot and mold are not a good foundation. That's what he's saying. We need something else. We need the principles of God's words. We need to have contentment. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Hungering, thirsting after righteousness. Lay up a good foundation. Alright, back here to verse 9. Our text, verse 9 and 10. He says here, They that will be rich. Or they that desire. To be rich. That's what that means. They that desire to be rich. Fall into many. Foolish. And hurtful lusts. Which drown men in destruction. Spiritual drowning. And so you could paraphrase it. And say something like this. Those that live to be rich. Those that work to be rich. Those that desire to be rich. And have the things that money produces. They're going to fall into spiritual death. That's what he's saying. It kills the spiritual life. It somehow snuffs out spiritual life. Peter would say it like this in First Peter 2.11. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Paul wasn't the only man to said it. Peter also said, You've got to be careful. You've got to abstain from those things that kill you spiritually. That's what he's saying. The love of money, verse 10, is the root of all evil, or you could say, I think it would be translated, all kinds of evil. And so if you follow that love for money and the things that money can produce and bring into your life, it brings all kinds of evil into your life. In other words, you end up in the lion's lunch. You become the lion's victim unless you wake up. And he says here, if you follow that love, while some have followed after or coveted after, they have erred from the faith. And so again, it's a very plain warning. If you follow that desire to have riches or to have what it brings, it has a tendency to make you err from the faith. And, you know, he says it so plain to hear. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so we could say the pursuit of things is spiritual suicide. Pierce themselves through. When we follow after those things, we, we kill ourselves spiritually. Spiritual suicide. So having a desire for those things, being earthly minded, materialistically minded, leads to apostasy. Apostasy. And falling away from God. And that is the danger. That is the purpose of this message. Is to warn us. That it's dangerous. That there's a lion out there. That would love to destroy us. It says here that it is. The love of money is the root of all evil. Or many evils. That I think that's how it would translate. And friends tonight. Let's just be honest. When we have lots of money and we desire those things, it can easily lead to worldliness. When you have money, there is just that temptation to become worldly and we know that. There's a temptation to fall into worldliness because we have the means whereby to get it's easy to do. There's nothing wrong in it itself, perhaps. A lot of things, there's nothing wrong in it itself. But it's a temptation to fall into those things and those things to become more to us than what God is. And that leads right up to my next thought is the root of many evils. One of them is idolatry. You know, friends, tonight, you know, you you go back to the Old Testament. God's people, the children of Israel. What was their number one problem? Idolatry. Time after time and time again, God would punish them because they went into idolatry. Served other gods. You know what? We're made of exactly the same stuff. We got the same problem. It's just a different kind of an idol. And when we have, when we're pursuing, when our attitude is to pursue those things, can easily lead to idolatry. Another one of the evils that comes right with it is pride. 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 You know, I'm going to be pretty blunt here tonight. As I travel around a little, and and I want to be careful here tonight, but especially when I get into the large plain people communities. You know what? I'm afraid I see pride and idolatry. And you know what? It's not exclusive to the big communities. We got the same problem in our own little communities like Hayward and Traverse City. It just is not quite as evident because when you get into the big communities, it's Right there. It's evident. Okay? And I'm afraid we see some pride and idolatry. Let me explain a bit. You know, you've heard the old phrase, we got to keep up with the Joneses. Okay? We've heard that for many years. The Joneses. Got to keep up with them. Well, you know what? Us conservative Mennonite people have got that problem. But I'm afraid it's the, the Troyers. And the Wyricks and the Shrocks and the Millers and the Hersheys. It's not the Joneses. You see, we got this thing where we gotta keep up with the Hersheys and the Shrocks and the Rhymers or the Ramers. We are now the Joneses. You know, I think about the rich fool, and I'm not going to take time tonight to read about him in Luke chapter 12. But that rich farmer, God called him a fool, actually. He he was a rich farmer, and he, he was a good farmer. He could really farm. He knew how to do it. He made money. And we need money. We all need money. This guy was making money hand over fist, and, and he got all excited about farming. He said, what am I going to do? He said, I don't know what I'll do. I'll just tear down barns. I'll build bigger farms, nicer farms. I do all this stuff, and he was all excited about it. He tore down the barns, built new ones. He thought he was set for life. And as I read that parable, that story that Jesus gave, you know, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's, he said, oh, he said my soul's gonna be fine. I, I think he even thought he was spiritual. He was rich, and I, I think he thought he was okay. He was spiritual. But you know what? He wasn't spiritual. Jesus said he was covetous. He was coveting. He wanted more. That's what Jesus said. He called him a fool. And the, the Amplified would say that he was covetous. He, was, he had a greedy longing for more. He had an immoderate desire for wealth. God called this a man a fool and he ended up in hell. Because of his farm. It doesn't say they really did anything bad. But his farm ended, up, ended him up in hell. And, the, and Jesus said, you know, he just wasn't rich toward God. He, yeah, he was rich in the, in the eyes of the world. But not towards God. Ended up in hell. And, okay, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, us conservative Mennonites, we are known for being frugal and good workers, good work ethics. We know how to work and we know how to manage. And those things are good. And we're good stewards. But I wonder sometimes if we are not accumulating under the cover of good stewardship. Yes, we should be good stewards. But I wonder if we haven't taken that and we're accumulating underneath that cover. I believe there's a danger of that. Because when I drive through our communities... And again, especially the big communities because it's so obvious. It's just not as obvious in our little communities. But the big communities, you drive through there and I see bigger farms, bigger tractors, bigger stuff, bigger houses, bigger businesses, bigger shops, bigger trucks, bigger SUVs. Are we accumulating under the cover of stewardship? Have we forgotten I'm going to come back to that later. I read this article in the Anabaptist Voice. Any of you get the Anabaptist Voice? Lester Dan. A new periodical. Uh, and it was written by a man. Uh, I believe his name was Rich Hardley. And he's a, a Christian businessman. And he owns a cabinet shop. And a man of the world... Um, was contacting him and want to order a kitchen for his, for his cottage, which was his second home. And it was one of these, you know, it would remind me of the Traverse City or, or uh, Hayward, this up north second cottage. And it was a, and this, this cabinet owner said it was a ridiculous amount of money that this man wanted to spend on his new kitchen for his second home. But he, he called in and he said, you know what, before I, before I finalize this order, before I give you the down payment, I want to tour your shop. And Rich said, fine, you can come in and tour it. And so this man, this, this man from the world came in, drove in there, and he walked in the office, and he was complaining. He was complaining about the roads that he had to drive to get to this shop. They were gravel roads. And he didn't like it, and he complained about it. And so uh, Rich's son took this man back in the shop and gave him a tour. And while they were doing that, Rich decided, well, I'm going to go out and see what kind of car this guy is driving. He's complaining about our roads. So he went out and looked, and it was a um, Aston Martin. Now does that mean anything to anybody? I have no idea does that means something to you? Okay, well, this guy, he didn't know what it was. it said Aston Martin. So he went in and Googled it, and he realized that this car that was sitting out there was not a $30,000 car. it was a $300,000 car sitting in his parking lot. Oh. So that's why he's complaining about our gravel roads. So the man comes back from his tour, back in the office, and uh, they were kind of figuring him out. And so the son asked this rich man, he said, oh, the man, first of all, he said, he said, well, I'm going to be gone for the weekend. You know, if you need to contact me, I'm gone for the weekend. And so the shop owner's son said, so uh, are you going to go tenting? No. No. Not going tending. Or are you going to your cottage? No, I'm not going to my cottage. He said, I'm going to my mansion. Now friends tonight, I got a mansion too. But it is not on this earth. It is up there. Friends tonight, where is your mansion? I don't want to be critical tonight of large communities because I said we have the same tendencies. It's just maybe not quite as obvious. But I do want to bear my heart to unite to your people. And I, I want to simply say this. I wonder if we are not heaping up If we are not stacking up. If we are not piling up generation upon generation upon generation of materialism. We are teaching the next generation to be materialistic. And I believe, friends, that it is time that we get serious. And we are following Jesus. And we intend to get to heaven. I believe that it is time that we get serious about being Christians. And we get serious about the doctrine of the Bible. And I believe that we should spread out. And I believe that we should spread the gospel. Instead of piling it up to rot and decay and to turn to apostasy and churches and and put churches in survival mode. You know, if, if all the money and if all the energy that is sitting in Mennonite, piles was put to evangelism I believe that it would put our communities on spiritual fire I really believe that instead of putting it into bigger homes and more business and more farms and nicer SUVs and bigger vacations and more hunting ground and whatever you want to put in there I believe that we could set our communities on spiritual fire. But they that will be rich, verse 9, fall into temptation and a snare. And so that's saying there's danger and there's a warning here. And you know, as I thought about that, when you think about a snare or maybe a live trap, you catch an animal in a live trap, or let's even say that there'd be a live trap that would be big enough that a human being could get into. So, if you would get into a human being live trap, a snare, you know, you would feel confined, and it would be tight, and it would be miserable, and it'd be lonely, and you'd get thirsty, and you'd get hungry, and you'd just be plain out miserable. Or if you think about a spring trap. That you would step into and that spring would snap and catch your foot in there, you know, there would be pain and that steel would dig into, into your flesh and into your bones and there'd be blood and be agony and you would scream and you would call, someone please call 911. But the problem with this snare of materialism is that it is not that way. It's actually a can I say it's kind of an attractive snare? Maybe beautiful? It's not steel jaws that come clamping down and bring all kinds of pain and blood. Oh no, my friends, it's not that. Materialism is not painful. It's not lonely. There's lots of company in that, in that group. It's not lonely. You're not hungry. Uh, it's not confining. There's no hungry pain. No hunger pains. And you know the problem is that snare. It is so innocent looking. It is so appealing. It is so maybe even normal. So calm and so gradual. So soothing. Can feel so good. Kind of like taking that hike up the mountain and sitting down against a tree and falling asleep and. Not thinking about that there's a lion stalking you until it's too late. Okay, so that's the warning. Now, what is the solution or the antidote? Right here in our <clears throat> chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, i give you a couple antidotes. The first one is contentment. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8 And having food and raiment Let us be there with content These are Bible concepts Bible principles God says that godliness within contentment Is great gain You want to be rich in God's eyes Be godly Be spiritual And be content And the Bible principle for contentment Is having food and raiment Let us be there with content Now Friends, tonight, I'll be honest with you. Maybe we got a ways to go. Having food and rain, but have the basic necessities of life, God says we're to be content with that. And I, I realize tonight, dear people, I realize I'm talking to a group of people tonight that are, that are. There's many businessmen here tonight. I understand that. And, and I, as far as I know you do well in business, you're prospering and, and farmers and I don't know what all. And please tonight, I'm not, I'm not being critical of you at all. I'm not talking tonight about dollars and cents. I'm not talking about how much God never said you should never have a million dollars or more than a million. Or you should never have a hundred thousand. He never said that. But we're talking tonight about a heart. We're talking about attitude. We're talking about desire tonight. What is contentment? The Bible says the basic necessities of life were to be content with that. And there are other scriptures we could go to. We don't have time. Uh, Hebrews says that um, live your life without coveting it. And he says, then be content with what you have. That's what Hebrews says. Instead of longing for more. And so we got this concept that God gives us in the Bible to live right so that we're prepared for eternal life. And that concept is that we're to be content, a contented people. And somehow we need to find that balance with making enough money and providing the needs. We know that we are called by God's word to also provide for our families and to help those who need that don't have it. We're called to that. And so somehow we have to find that balance. And and I thought of many other things, you know, um, I am so thankful for, for men in our congregations that God has blessed with the ability to make money. They fund a lot of our projects. Let's be honest about it. But how do we find that balance? Are we content with what we have? What are we teaching our children? You know, there's some hard questions and I'm going to I'm going to give several to you tonight that I think we really need to think about. Why do I want more than one farm? If you're a farmer, you need to ask yourself that question. Why do I want more than one farm? Maybe there is a good reason. And then we need to ask ourselves, am I content? And what am I teaching my children? Why do we keep expanding the business and working more? Okay. Why do we? Why do we want a bigger, better house? Why do we want the vehicles we have? Why do we have all the latest and greatest technology gadgets that we have? Is it because we need them? Or we want them. And dear people, I want to say it as lovingly as I can, but I believe really that us, our plain churches, when it comes to technology, somehow we have forgotten about the principle of contentment. Now, I don't want to go on that subject tonight. But really, dear friends, do we need it? Or do we want it? Are we content with what we have? Be content with what you have, the Bible says. So contentment, simply embracing the concept in God's word, helps us. You know, if we can get contentment, if we can get a hold of it, and we can grab it, and we can embrace it, that will balance out a lot of this stuff. Another antidote, number two, have a Christ-like attitude towards material things. How would Jesus think? What would Jesus do today? Here in this chapter in verse 11 and 12, it says, but thou, O man of God. Okay, here's what Jesus would do. He says, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patient, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Jesus would say, you know, be careful. Make sure that you keep those things where they're supposed to be because the most important thing in your entire life is to fight the good fight of faith. Because we want to get to heaven. And these things can be a distraction to getting there. All oh, this is powerful stuff. Flee these things. You know, we live in, in almost 100% materialistic culture all around us. It's all about material things. Our society, our culture, and it can influence us dear people in a big time way. And you know what? It finds its way into our churches and into our families, into our homes. And like I said before, this message tonight is not about how many dollars and how many cents we have or what our business grosses. But it's about my attitude and my desire. You can be really poor and be materialistic. You can be really rich and not be materialistic. But you know what? The Bible is very plain. It very plainly says a couple of things. That if you have a lot, you put yourself at a lot greater risk. That's what the Bible says. The scripture is very plain on a couple things. That if we will be rich, if we have that desire, we put ourselves at a place in great danger spiritually of falling away from God. It says that there in in verse 9. We could go to Mark chapter 10. Where Jesus simply said, "You know what? It's hard to get to heaven if you're rich." Jesus said that, and you can you can take that scripture and you can slice it up different ways, but you're gonna come out right there. Jesus said, "If you have a lot of riches, it's hard to get to heaven." And so, when we have brethren in our congregations that have a lot, you know, I, I, I I'm thankful for them, but you know what? They they are at a great risk. They really have to be. On tune with God, and God uses those men sometimes in a beautiful way, you know. And and He's just put them there for that reason. And He just keeps channeling money through them. And they got their their priorities right, their desires are right. They don't want to be rich. You see, I think I've heard Kevin Bowman say that when a rich man gives everything to God, he's no longer a rich man. Bible says it's hard to get to heaven if you're rich. Now, it's not impossible, but it's hard. Job was a rich man and he got to heaven. And there are godly men today that are rich, not because of desire, because God has made it that way, and they're kingdom builders. Okay, another antidote. And if you will turn to me now to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 13, an antidote is that we need to have a stranger and pilgrim concept as we go through this life. 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out. They might have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better country, that is, in a heavenly knee, wherein God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Brothers and sisters, tonight, real Christians, embrace the truth that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. If we are real tonight, we will also say and confess that I am a stranger and a pilgrim here. I am not staying here. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And when I leave, I'm taking nothing with me because I'm going to a way better place. And I want to be prepared for that. I want to be ready for that. Our focus is on Jesus. We're following Jesus. We think like Jesus. We're His disciples. We're His, dis- we're his students. Yeah, Jesus did say one time, He said, you know what? Foxes have holes and birds have nests and I only have a pillow. Hmm. Well, that kind of thinking sure makes us a lot different from the world, doesn't it? You better believe it. My friends, tonight we should be a whole lot different than the world. We should think a whole lot different than they do. Our thinking should completely be different. Absolutely. Jesus said the Gentiles seek after those things, but we don't. Alright. Verse 14 it says for they that say such things okay what are the, what who is it those that are strangers and pilgrims declare plainly that they seek a country that means that they seek a homeland that means that they declare plainly they're not residents here they declare plainly they're going to heaven okay they declare it plainly that they are seeking heaven now you know we plain people have plainly declared. Okay, They declare plainly. We have plainly declared that we are good carpenters. We have plainly declared that we are good masons. We have plainly declared that we are good loggers. We have plainly declared that we are good farmers. We are good businessmen. We are entrepreneurs. We can start up a home business and we can make it fly. We have plainly declared that we are innovators. We've plainly declared that we are fabulous cooks and that we can make beautiful furniture. We have plainly declared that. And so the plain people are plainly, plainly declaring that you should buy Amish and Mennonite furniture because it's the best. And we are plainly declaring that you should buy Amish water and Amish chicken and Amish this and Amish that. Oh, to God, that we, the plain people, would plainly declare that we are not of this world. That's what we should be known for. That we are not of this world. That we would plainly declare that we're strangers and pilgrims, that we've got a heavenly focus, that we're following Jesus. That we're getting ready for a wedding, that this is not a real home. You know, I wonder, as I prepare this, I wonder when people drive down the road, the people of the community, they drive down the road, when they see our places, what do they think? What are we declaring to them? Do they think, oh, yeah, there's the Mennonites. They are great carpenters. They make great furniture. They have fabulous restaurants. Is that what we have plainly declared? Or when they drive down the road and they see our places, do they think, those people are strange. They don't fit in here. That's what they should say. Those people don't look like they belong here. What are we plainly declaring? Brothers and sisters, tonight I warn you of the danger of materialism. It is a distraction. And it has a great potential to destroy our walk with Jesus it has the potential to become our focus and our love and our idol and our love. And it has the potential of separating you from God. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray, Father.